Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the H2O Podcast. Back in the studio, finally. Actually here. At the same time, in the same place, in the same room. Actually, this is all CGI. (coughs) Neither of us are actually in this room. It's a green screen environment. That's right. And and I I shot my stuff yesterday. This is not a real dog. It's not a real dog. No. Uh, this is this is the latest diva as part of the Sci-Fi for Me staff, um, <laughs> appropriately sitting in Tim's lap. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, Jason seems to think that uh, this clearly posing dog is not aware that this dog has become a star. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, for those of you who are not aware yet, oh, by the way, my name is Jason Hunt, and I'm Timothy Hardy, and and you're looking pretty spry for another planetary revolution around the sun. So, well, uh, last I checked, uh, turning fifty is not the end of life. <laughs> oh, and then you can just see it from here. Speaking of measuring time, we are fifteen days without an incident. And I'm counting that from the time we were shooting promo material and somebody decided to slip <coughs> and almost fall. So we're 15 days from there without an inc- incident. So, You know, this is exactly the kind of thing that gets people in trouble. Mm. I'm not going to jinx it. I'm just, we're counting. Said it out loud. It was her idea. Yeah, well, that doesn't mean it was a good one. Sorry. <laughs> Hello, Robert, in the chat. Welcome. Sorry, Thanks for joining us. And um, yeah, so where was I? We were talking about the dog. Yes, at <laughs> my age. <laughs> <laughs> Your age and the dog. I haven't seen you at a dog's age. Yeah, yeah there we go. Um, last week, we started a new program here. It has. Almost nothing to do with genre, but it does feature office dog. And given all of the all of the mayhem and chaos and tumult and turmoil and whatnot, I thought, well, why not? Because Peter Sametti has been doing these uh, streams where he just does little sketch cards, and he's got some nice soft piano music playing in the background. It's kind of a relaxing, chill. You know, we're not going to get into anything really specific, and. So I thought, that's not a bad idea, you know, especially just give people time to just relax, take a break, just, you know, deep breath, reset. So we've started this thing called the Daily Dose of Dog, which is uh, 30 minutes of office dogs in repose. And we'll play some relaxing music to go along with it. And it's just, you know, 30 minutes of dog and music sleeping dog and music so that started last week it's slow in in picking up viewers but you know that's which again typical of explains this yeah sure 
<laughs> I'm telling you. Uh, all right, so before we get into our topic tonight, our, our topic is DC Comics and Diamond. And we're going to talk about the split, and we're going to talk about all of that. But a couple of uh, pieces of business. We do have a Subscribestar account if you are looking for ways to support us financially. And then we also have negotiated a discount over at SuperheroStuff.com. When you use the promo code SciFiForMe10, you can get 10% off your order. But more importantly, we started this last week. We are now doing an Indiegogo campaign to raise money to build a new Sci-Fi For Me TV channel. And what this is, is uh, it gives us a way to control our content a little bit more, um, manage notifications a little better, and communicate with our audience a little better, and and look for ways that we can possibly collaborate with other creators because we, it just gives us some more options, we think. Uh, because we have almost 1,400 subscribers on this channel and fewer than maybe a dozen or so at any given time are looking at any of our content, which has me thinking, well, maybe nobody knows that we're putting content out. So we're trying to put some stuff together to where we can do this. So the, the Indiegogo campaign launched last week, and today we announced a new tier at the $100 level, the Tuckerization tier. I'm very excited about this. This is something I've been working on for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And we have confirmed with a few people, uh, a few uh, authors, Tuckerization is named for a science fiction author named Wilson Tucker. Back in the 30s and 40s, his, his stories included his friends. He was in the habit of including people he knew as minor supporting characters in his stories. And it became he was, he was so pro, prolific at it that the process became known as Tuckerizing or Tuckerization. And so I've been in contact with various different authors and have gotten them to agree to tuckerize a backer at the $100 level. And so right now, we officially have nine available, but I'm waiting to hear back from several others. Um, and, and this is not a shabby roster. No, no. Uh, right now confirmed, we have Rhonda Udaly, we've got Keith DeCandido, we have Dayton Ward and Kevin Dilmore, and we have Una McCormick. Mercedes Lackey has agreed to do one, and I think that's kind of a big heap of oh, meal. Yeah. And you know, Eric Flint <coughs> has agreed to do one. So, and, and I'm waiting to hear back from a few others. Kevin J. Anderson has agreed. Uh, and he's got a couple of authors in his stable that have tentatively agreed. I just need to confirm with them that they're going to still do it. And I'm waiting to hear back from a couple of others. So, uh, yeah, so we're looking forward to that. So the $100 level, you get to become a character in a science fiction story written by one of these authors. So we're very excited about that. So sci-fi-for-me.tv is where you can find this campaign 
and I, I and guess for, I guess for the rest of the show, it's just you know, let's just look at look at the dog. I guess. I, well, this is this is the this is the tear you're leaving out, which is you get the get the the dog signal, you know, the dog's uh, autograph, side, signed autograph, signed photograph out, of the dog. Um, you know sure. the. Uh, 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 you get to appear. You, know, you get to visit the dog. You get to, you know, come by and hang out with the dog. <clears throat> okay, whatever. <laughs> Clearly, this dog. I don't is know why you're looking at love. him expectantly, like he's going to give you something. He doesn't have anything to give you, dog. <laughs> 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 Oh, you know, uh, it's been a while since you know we've hung out. So no. this is just this is a so very doggy thing to do. <clears throat> no, Robert. It's just going to be you. However, the author decides to put you in. If if it's just the name, or if you appear as a character. So, um. Most authors, when they're doing something like that, usually give the character at least something to do or to die terribly in a cool way. Yeah, and, um, and according to TV Tropes, that's called Death by Cameo. Yeah, right. And it's one of those things. Uh, and it's a of, grand tradition in genre. Yes, Embrace especially it. with red shirts. Oh, sure. Um, you can show up. Although, I'm told, I've talked to, because Dayton Ward and Kevin Dilmore both, but David Mack, I also talked to him about it. And I've also talked to Greg Cox. And... The franchise owners, whenever you're doing tie-in material, like for Star Trek or Stargate or Star right. Wars or whatever, uh, but especially for Star Trek in, in this particular case, they tend to frown on it. And I don't know if it's an ownership rights thing because Probably. if a character shows up, let's like say if Greg Cox puts me in a book... And then suddenly somebody else wants to use that character in a book or do whatever. Well, who owns that character now? Because that character's not really a character. Right. So I can understand in a in a licensed tie-in, you probably are going to be a little bit reluctant. But Eric Flint's got his whole series of, of stories that he's got original. I would love to get David Weber to participate. Oh, sure. That'd be great. Uh, I have not, I've, I've not managed to get in touch with him. Uh, I did hear back from Lois McMaster Bujold, uh, who said uh, it, it, it's a nice thought, but given that her stories tend to take place on other planets with alien races, it would be kind of hard to put a human name in the middle of it. So, you know, those kind of things, I understand. Just spell or, it in an alien fashion. Or somebody's got, you know, somebody doesn't have a project or, you know, Joe right. Haldeman is... is getting close to retirement and he's not writing very much anymore so you know those kind of things sure but yeah we've got we've got quite a few others that are this is not a shabby there. list of people no it's not and it'll get better because the ones that i'm waiting on are at that level as well so well and, and you know the the really fun thing about that is that you get to be part of a novel, you could, uh, well, a, not necessarily a novel. It could be a short story. There's a lot of different mm -hmm. ways this could be done. Yeah. Um, but you get to be involved in something like that, and and that's not something a lot of people actually get to do. No. Uh, and yeah, sure, it might. Sure, you might die terribly, eaten by an alien beast. Um, but you know, that's that's the price we pay for, for fame. Really. No, I'm gonna. I'm gonna 
adjust that shot because we're cutting off your head. That's because the dog is out of the frame now and that requires uh, reframing. There, that's better. <laughs> I suppose it'll do. Okay. I'm waiting for I'm waiting for Sci-Fi Snob to show up because I'm wearing a red shirt. Um, reddish. Reddish, and it's to celebrate the the Tuckerization tier because we've got this new thing. So although actually you should you should hope to become an admiral because the death rate for admirals is actually about as good as a red shirt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then again, your odds are good you might end up being evil. There's a there's a Star That's true. Trek has a long history of of. Uh, Admirals going crazy and, and doing bad things. Or, or at the very least, incompetent. Well, you know... Well, no, that would be an ambassador. Yes, ambassadors Ambassadors uh, tend to... Uh, well, it's the problem. Political appointments. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, along those lines, uh, we're, we've got designs for a mug that we're looking at. Um these are prototypes because they haven't they haven't been finalized and they're not exactly in the right color scheme yet because you have to print them darker in order for them to be the actual right color on the sure. white because the white's coming through on the mug. Mm -hmm. So uh, the logo's going to be on one side, the planet's going to be on the other side. And we're also looking at this black one. And I haven't quite figured out, we're still trying to figure out... What to do with the black one? Yeah, because it's almost there, but not quite. Yeah, we're we're still not quite sure how we're gonna make that one work. So that one's for later. That one's not gonna be for the campaign. Uh, but we're working on prototypes for that. We've got some other stuff that we're thinking about. Um, but right now, the campaign we're sitting at. The trend says that if we stay. In, in line of where we're going now, we'll make 63% of our goal. So we need all the help that we can get boosting the signal so we can right. get the money that we need to make our goal. So, sci-fi for me TV. DC Comics. Yeah. They do Superman, <laughs> Batman. Um, they've been around for a while. A couple of few years. Yeah. Uh, they are a, uh, a division of Warner Brothers. Which is now a division of AT&T. Which is fascinating in itself. Uh, it's kind of amazing the, the purchase structure of how this all works. Mm. Brought to you by the phone company. <laughs> well, um, sci-fi mug use every day to brush my teeth. Oh, it's a, it's a mug for the, for the toothbrush, I guess, is how Robert uses it. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's of use. There you go. We're, we appreciate and, being And that use. was one of the things that we wanted to do with all of this, is make sure that everything that we have as tier things, as perks, was useful. Right. So, um, but yeah, DC Comics. Now, a while back, and I know Ethan was really big on this. Ethan Van Skyver was talking about this. The, the, every, there was a speculation and this goes back to an article from Cosmic Book News. I think we could trace it back to them, where there was a rumor AT&T was thinking about selling off DC Comics. And I was looking at, um, uh, I was watching a video from Perch. Uh, we had we have been talking to him about a couple of things, and and he does some really good analysis of the industry. And he was talking about this and the rumor about, well, AT&T is going to sell off DC. And it was all over the place for a while. And he said that 
When AT&T bought Time Warner, there were a number of conversations that were had at the time. And his understanding, and again, I'm hearing this second and third hand, so take this for what it's worth. But Perch had said that his understanding is that when AT&T came in and they were looking at all of the assets, they're looking at DC and they're thinking, okay, how do we make this profitable? So they were actively engaged in retaining DC, not figuring out how they could sell it off. So thus putting the kibosh on the rumor that AT&T is going to sell D DC. They're not. Well, and, and, and to some degree, that, argue, that, that rumor never made a lot of sense because until the comic book movie bubble bursts, yeah. which were actually past where a lot of us thought it was going to burst, just based on historical trends because we've seen it with westerns and detective movies and, uh -huh. and romantic comedies, which don't really don't see much of anymore. Um, you know, the, the, those kind of things actually go in waves. They go in cycles. And the comic book movie has actually lasted a lot longer than, than certainly when the comic book movie has been around before. Mm. Now, some of that, of course, happens to do with the star power. It happens to do with the money that's being invested in this stuff. It ends up being the kind of... And how people are consuming entertainment. Yeah, well, and I think, too, the other thing is that when you look at the, the longevity of the Marvel Cinematic Universe... And the fact that they have been able to attract actors such as Robert Redford, oh sure, Glenn Close, you know some of these these bigger marquee names, you know Kenneth Branagh, which just reminds you sometimes that these people actually sometimes do things for fun. Yeah, they clearly are enjoying themselves. The thing that that is interesting about um, looking at at how long this bubble might go on is you consider how much Warner Brothers is investing in making what is essentially the Zack Snyder fan cut. Mm -hmm. uh, and for all that, you know, everyone sits there and, and rightly praises the fan reaction, yay, yay fandom, um, you also have to bear in mind that the only reason it's happening is because they figured they could make money. And the other thing on that is that that decision to do the Snyder cut was not at the Warner Brothers level. AT&T told Toby Emmerich there's something to this have the conversation let's figure this out because they're looking at and, and really the only reason we're getting the Snyder Cut in any way shape or form is because they need to sell HBO Max and AT&T and, and Warner Media need a Mandalorian well, I think that's certainly a factor of it, but also bear in mind that this is a very, very pricey investment to make that happen. Because we keep the, the numbers that we're hearing, uh, the initial numbers that we're hearing about how much this yeah, is going to cost. 20 to 30 million. The problem is, is that with what we're hearing about what is actually going to happen with the film, that's lowballing it bad. That's, and I'm, 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 well, I'm, yeah. I will be happy to be wrong, but I'm willing to predict by the time this is all said and done and we have real numbers on this thing, it's. A lot more than that. Given that we've and that's gone, fine. I have no problems with that. I'm just saying that. It's, right. You know. But given that we've gone three years with a very vocal fan base saying, release the Snyder Cut, release the Snyder Cut. Which is fascinating. Which is, which on the other hand, and this kind of ties in in a way, um, that for people, as much as people did, you know, there was a, a very vocal divide 
about Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman. Yeah. Folks who were just like, you know, this is not my Superman. This is not the way I want to see it from Batman versus Superman. This is not my Lex Luthor, et cetera, et cetera. All these different fans. And, and this is perfectly fine. Fans, you know, fans have been making comments about what they like and don't like as long as there have been the concept of literature. Michael Keaton? Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. I do not care for this Charles Dickens fellow. <laughs> I find his work to be, you know, yeah. <laughs> who is this Shakespeare person? He, <laughs> he strikes me as an unserious person. You know, this stuff's been going on for a long time. But the idea that um, at this point, the fan reaction for films that really a lot of people were like, you know, uh, I don't care for his idea of what this is going to be. And yet... So many people were more united with the fact that we don't like what happens when you take it away from him. You know, mm. it's not that I liked his the previous two movies. Yeah. It's that at least he was trying to tell a story. Well, and I <laughs> and think now the it's other, gone off the you know. I think the other part of it too is the fact that you've got this sense of Snyder not being able to finish. I think it would have been different if he just quit in a huff. Oh sure. Or if there were, you know, if it well, was a if it was a Star Wars situation where they they fired him. Right. I mean, and, and you know, really kind of there was every it came to blows and, yes, and I mean, creative he, differences. He left because of a family tragedy. His daughter right. committed suicide. And it's and it's and if you've ever if you've ever been a parent, this is a nightmare. If you've ever lost a, a child, or and, actually, no, if you've lost ever lost somebody you love, hmm. period, you know how devastating that can be. And so the idea—I mean—it made perfect sense to a lot of people that he would walk away, yeah. Because at that point, I don't care what the paycheck is coming up from, from you know the studio. <coughs> that's not your life. That's not your focus. You right. just can't. You can't. And, and and I think a lot of people related to that. Whether you like his movies or not, at that moment, he was very relatable as a person. Um, and then I think that probably factored in some into it. Yeah. And also the fact that, you know, Joss Whedon, has, and I, there's plenty of places where Joss Whedon makes really great entertainment. I think, This wasn't it. Well, I think, how do I, how do I say this? I think we are past the Buffy Firefly era of dialogue. The, the witty uh, yes. banter and and nudge nudge wink wink dialogue but we that didn't... is classic Whedon. Yeah, I think I think that, I think that had a, it definitely had a time and a place. Um, yeah, we're past it, and he wanted, and he and you can tell that it's in there. It's, yeah, but it's, it's not. There it's and... not even in there on the level of the stuff that. It, for example, if he had, if they, if it had been a Joss Whedon Justice League movie from the beginning, oh, yeah, it would have yeah. been a completely different film. Yes, and I think that's another Absolutely. problem is that this this film is in some ways a Frankenstein monster, and it's uh, it's two different. It's, it's kind of like um, well, and and I'm not going to defend it because it's got issues, but it's the same reason we're getting people calling for the the uh, the air cut of Suicide Squad because. There was so much news about how it was redone, and, and in the interference from the studio, which you know, again, folks, stuff. interference from the studio. <laughs> it's as, not new. This is as long as there have been studios. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing too is this sense that, for whatever whatever you might think of all of these different things, like you were saying, Snyder was on a trajectory. He was he was going from point A to point B. 
and got derailed before he could get to point C. So there's this sense that something has been left incomplete. And right. I think that whether whether the Snyder Cut of Justice League ends up being good or not, and, and JLK makes a, a good point, enough people want it, the studio, the, the upper echelons, uh, suits at AT&T saw this move, people that were willing to buy billboards in Times Square and and hire a plane to fly over San Diego Comic-Con and to flood social media for three years. They want your sweet, that's sweet right. comic book that's movie dollars. exactly what and, it is. And again, that's perfectly fine. That's a, that's, that's, it's a business. It's a business, what they do. Which is how we circle back around to exactly. DC deciding we're done with Diamond. Now, the interesting thing, uh, for those of you who are not as familiar with this as some others, and I had to remind myself because I, I did not know too much about when the big distribution brouhaha reared its head uh, in a similar form, a very similar form back wow. in the 90s, which is, by the way, a very different comics landscape for a number of reasons. Oh, yeah. It's really hard to compare the comic, the world of comic books now with the world of comic books in the 90s for what on a creative level on a content level on a uh the 90s did not have the superhero movie infrastructure to fall back on right it, there's a lot of there and i see from time to time people going it's just like in the 90s no it's not it's you well, can there are points you can compare things to but you are looking at two very very different ecosystems right yeah. now well and i would i would for make the point real. i would make the point that we still don't have the comic book movie support structure because nobody is sitting there using the comic book movies to sell comic books. Well, I mean, it's it, to me, it's a no-brainer. If Wonder Woman is showing at this theater, set up a kiosk out front, and hey, look, comics, kids. Would, the, the different the difference there is that you are coming in from that as a comic book fan. Versus the folks who run the studios, who are not necessarily comic sure. book fans, and sure. therefore, and there's not, and there's not a revenue stream for them. But at the same time, you've got this perfect opportunity for marketing synergy. That and would indeed makes sense. Yes, and the direct market for these publishers, especially going to the direct market. Now, you also consider, and we could get into this because of the target, the Walmart and stuff, and everything with the Penguin Random House. DC's looking at different ways to get in front of new readers. Right. They have to because the direct market is dying on the vine. And a lot of that you can blame, you know, however, whatever reasons you want. Uh, you, you know, politics in the comics, that's that. Who For some people, that's a thing. Marvel flooding the shelves, for some people, that's a thing. The fact Marian. that the comic book stores aren't car carrying enough indie comics, you know, all sorts of reasons. You know, Diamond's a monopoly. Diamond's always delivering damaged goods. And if you want the variant cover, you got to order a hundred of the regular. Yeah, I mean, there's all of these different things. And so the direct market is not as profitable as it has been in the past. And for a lot of comic book shops, comics aren't profitable that much either. That's well, why you see them margins. doing Magic the Gathering tournaments and they're selling Funko Pops and they're doing all of these different things. They which, make by the their way, money on back issues. Which, by the way, is also not new. 
Right. This is not a recent state of affairs. Comic book shops have been doing this for as long as these other things have been there because the margin on comics is not great. Mm -hmm. It has never been great. And if you've ever walked into a comic book store, you see the racks and rows of the new comics, and then you look and you see the boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes and the boxes in the back room because there's no room on the sales floor anymore yeah. for the boxes. You go upstairs to the second level. You didn't even know it was there, but they've got boxes and boxes and boxes of back issues because a lot of this significant, vast quantities, the majority of this stuff is mm. not returnable. And that's where comic shops have to make their money mm -hmm. is on back issues. And we'll circle back around to this because I think Chuck Rosansky over at Mile High, Mile High Comics is cutting his nose off to spite his face with this. Well, there's some, we can get into some of the responses here. I did want to take a moment to point out that years ago, when I was a book dealer uh, working for Borders Books, this was a similar thing in the book publishing world. There was a similar state of affairs. I'm not saying the comic book world is going to get there because they don't currently have the leverage. And this is one of the things where the comic... The, if DC and Marvel wanted to make themselves very popular, mm -hmm. and I don't think they want to do this for financial reasons, but if they wanted to make themselves super popular with the business, with the, 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 the comic book stores, they would follow what uh, Barnes & Noble and Borders and some of the other uh, uh, big retail chains of the time. And you'll note that a lot of the big book retailers aren't around anymore. Right. But one of the things that they did, and it's still going forward, is they basically looked at the publishers and they said, no, we will return our books if they don't sell. We're not going to order a thousand copies of this book and be yeah. stuck with 999 of them. And it was a sea change in the industry. And not only that, it was one that the bookstores didn't know how to deal with. I mean, th this is... <laughs> So every month you would get a list of books that are going to go back to your warehouse, that some of which is going to get redistributed amongst the company, and some of it is going to go back to the publisher. And there were folks on the retail end who would sit there and they would get these lists of books, and they would go pull them off the shelves, and they would box them up, and they wouldn't send them back because they didn't really believe this could be true, that you could actually send books out. I'm not exaggerating. That's that's a thing that actually happened. I believe you. I, well, see... And because the, that's, it wasn't the industry. For yeah. decades, it was not the industry. You, could, you couldn't send something back. Well, and you still can't in comics. Right, exactly. Except what this pandemic has done, because we talked about this oh, a while back at the Comics Pro event, the big the big retailer summit that they have every year up in up in I think in Oregon. Um, uh, Dynamite. I don't remember his name. Tony something. Uh, but he's he's the publisher of Dynamite. He got up and he said, "We have to do things different. Something has to change because this is not going to be." You know, it's not sustainable anymore. And this is before all of the lockdown, quarantine, sure, and everything. Sure. And one of the things that comics retailers have been really on about over the last few years is returnability. Mm -hmm. We've got to be able to send our, our the ones that we don't sell, we've got to be able to send them back. And in the financial straits that came out of the lockdown, the publishers started doing returnability. Mm -hmm. 
And that's a huge shift yeah. in policy. And um, when DC announced that they're splitting from Diamond on Friday, we also got a press release from IDW saying we're fully committed because there's this panic now in the streets. Mm -hmm. Diamond's going away. What's going to happen? Oh my, gnashing of teeth, wringing of hands, rending the clothes, sack and ash cloth, right? By the way, a lot of this ash is cloth, ash, sackcloth and ash. There you go. Yeah. They're all uh, hair shirts, don't forget hair shirts. Hair shirts. Uh, they also need to bear in mind that a lot of the people who are very, very upset about this are folks who have not been shy in their criticism of Diamond over right. the years. Now, this is, this is not to say that, that Diamond does not exempt from criticism or should not or or people should not have legitimate concerns about the new model there's a lot of things going on here yeah. but this so much of what is going to happen over the next six months two years five years ten years wherever however long this goes on because again Marvel did something similar in the 90s. Well, except they didn't. Well, because Marvel bought a distribution company. Well, I said similar. Right? Yeah. It's not the same thing. But I mean, D DC, does, DC does it, as far as I know, no, they, DC they, doesn't have any financial there's, stake there's in been the a lot of that's distributors. The, and that's been a question. It was whether or not they do or not. But apparently they do not. But the IDW thing, they sent out an email saying, we're fully committed to the, to the retailers mm -hmm. because the retailers are the front line of the comics industry. Right. You know? So they're extending full returnability on new releases all the way up through the end of January. And that's an extension of policy that I think is starting to take hold because retailers are responding to that. Mm -hmm. you know, don't give me discounts because when, when DC said we're going to do returnability and Boom said we're going to do returnability and all of these other ones, Aftershock and Vault and all these, Marvel was still quiet. And then Marvel came out and says, we're going to give you all these discounts. Excuse me. And they were like, we don't want discounts. We want returnability. We want to be able to send the books back that we don't sell because there's a lot of stuff that's coming out from these publishers that doesn't sell. Whether it's bad writing or politics or the arts crap or there's too many of them, you're flooding the market, nobody wants these or books. It's, or it's too early. For when people are going to want this thing, because we've seen that happen in comic books a lot, or it's too late. And then Diamond, during this shutdown, because up until this point, Diamond has had a monopoly. Right. Essentially. And the other thing to bear in mind is that Diamond, a lot of people have had concerns about the fact that these two new distributors are actually vendors on their own. They are comic book stores. They are, well, they are owned by, or they're operated by... Right. Retailers in so, certain markets. So, so some of the retailers are looking at this as competition. <coughs> Bear in mind, that's how Diamond got started. Well, and the other thing too, I mean, Diamond is Diamond's the same thing Brian, back in its day. You know, Brian Hibbs makes a bunch of noise about this. You know, well, no, we can't open. You know, the states can't open. The states can't open. Well, he was upset because his state couldn't open, so he didn't think it was fair that any of the other states could be open, so they could sell comics and he can't. Well, now. He's griping because UC, UCD, UCB, whatever, whatever UCS, whatever that one is that's owned by Midtown. Mm. Oh, there's a competition. Midtown's in New York. Midtown is not your competition, Hibbs, because you're in California. You're in San Francisco. They are completely different markets. But if if you if you are taking if you're taking the macro scale, and I think some of these folks are in a way that 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 I get, but I don't think is 
accurate. And and again, I'm not a I'm not a comic book retailer. I'm not speaking from I'm inside the either. industry. So I but on the on the other hand, you're looking at it as the same kind of thing is going. You know, um, the Avengers comic book is not actually up in competition against the Justice League comic book, but. Marvel and DC are in competition for your dollars for right. buy your thing. So I think that's, that, that there's there's a there's a question here that some of these folks are looking at it as because these folks are in that business in a different state that it would be if they if we were together in the same state we would be in competition. They're my competition. Right. Somebody in my line of work for me to be able to run my business. Someone in my line of work is getting a cut of my money. And I can understand that argument very well. I completely understand that from the point of view of some of these folks, as well as the fact that some of the that that right now, the cost for shipping and the margins on the comics is not as good as diamonds. But it's also Friday. Friday was the announcement. Yeah. Things change over time, and the, that those well, margins now, and costs can go down, and probably DC, will well, historically. Now DC has been using these two, Lunar, and, mm-hmm. and I want I, I Perch's got me messing this up too. He he can't get the numbers, the letters right either. UCB, UCS, UCS, UCS. Thank you. All right, so Lunar and UCS. DC has been using them as distributors in addition to Diamond since the late April. Right. So they've had some time and, and to figure this l- out. A little background here. The, one of the reasons that this happened was because Diamond basically said, we cannot meet our obligations here. Right. And one of the things that I think that, based on from what we've heard from Diamond on the, their communications with DC over the course of the last several months, because, of course, this is not actually, this is not actually completely out of the blue here. Right. Okay. Even leaving aside these two other distributors... This is a conversation that DC and, and Diamond have actually apparently been having for a little while. Not a huge amount of time. That's what we're hearing. But it has been going on for a little bit. And one of the things that uh, was raised was um, the how much... Uh, the financial stability of Diamond, which apparently... <laughs> There seems to be some question about. Now, that said, guess what, folks? A lot of businesses are not financially stable all the time. That's well, just the nature of, of business. Some yeah, s- but you have to stop and consider, too, that when, when the shutdown happened and then Diamond is sitting on product in the warehouses and they say, okay, we're not going to ship anything. Even and, and a lot of that was because the states shut down, the comic book stores are closed. They're not right. going to sell them anyway. So Diamond well, makes a decision. The of, what's the point of shipping to a store that exactly. isn't open? You can't sell them. Yeah. Or no one's going to be there to receive it. But at the same time, then Diamond says, we're closing operations altogether. And we're not paying our bills. And we're not going to pay our bills for five months. And we're only going to pay you a little bit over those five months. And two weeks later, they start furloughing employees. And the general reaction among the commentariat was how stable an industry is it when the monopoly distribution point is the single point of failure and two weeks after all of this happens, the whole thing collapses. If there's no cash flow after only two weeks, then this is not a healthy industry to start with. 
and and you have people like John Jackson Miller over at Comic Con saying, "Oh no, the comics industry is always is it's it's fine." Well, no, it's not. If two weeks everything goes to hell in a handbasket. Well, but the question becomes: is it is that the question of the industry, or is that a question of the single point of failure problem? I think it's a combination of both. Well, I think the industry. I think there's probably a little bit of both there, but it's definitely. And again, folks, if you are a if you are a vendor, a dealer. Uh, somebody who runs a comic shop, and you are extremely happy with Diamond. I completely understand why this is upsetting for you. Sure. I get it. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, uh, first of all, monopolies for all the reasons that we end up with them. Because there's a number of different reasons how you could end up with a monopoly. And some of them are completely benign, mm -hmm. and some of them are very not. Yeah. Um, and so that it's just, uh, just because you only have one source for something, for a service or a product... Uh, in you know when you think you should, when the realistically you should have more, that's not inherently bad. It's risky yeah. and it can lead to some a lot of issues. But just because it's just because things end up that way, that doesn't mean Diamond is not necessarily, a, excuse me, a villain in this situation. Well, but not necessarily a villain, but negligent let's say because if you've got let we we are the one place where you get your stuff so if it's packed poorly and if it arrives damaged who are you going to call how are you going to address that and then of course they get back to the returnability factor mm -hmm. of i've got 50 issues of Thor number one I can't sell because the corners are, are messed up. Right. You know, and, and Robert, Robert makes a good point. Marvel's strategy of flooding the shelves would not work well with returnability because, and I've even seen this in a, in a couple of other places in various different conversations, Marvel is sending you free product to sell, essentially, with the overships, mm. which, okay... But if you don't sell them and you can't return them, you're going to end up having to pay for them at some point anyway. Well, not only that, um, the thing that, you know, you don't hear about this, but you can see it every time you go into a comic book store. Comic book stores have a finite amount of floor space. Yeah. You've got to store this stuff. And if you can't store it on site, you're paying extra to store it somewhere else. Now, when you come to the returnability thing... One of the advantages the bookstore chains had that the individual comic book shops, because they don't tend to band together, um, and for one some degree, they're competitors. It's hard to do. Yeah. Um, when you're <clears throat> when you saw things like Borders and Barnes and Noble, and and Borders owned Walden Books, Barnes and Noble owned B Dalton. There was Books a Million. There were a bunch of other these other things. The reason they were able to do it was because, in many ways, you really only had like six major book chain players mm -hmm. and all of them had the same issue <clears throat> and so it made a lot of sense for them to sit there and go why don't we gang up on these publishers yeah. and therefore make things a little more uh, uh make things more useful on our end if we band together like this and that's not price fixing or anything like that right. it was them going look we want better business practice we want better business practice but see you think you, you would think that something like that would happen at comics pro 
because you have a bunch of retailers that are meeting with the publishers and the publishers come in and they have all of these panels and workshops and Q&A sessions and the retailers should be able to come in and say, look guys, you, would, you guys have us over a barrel. We've got to be able to have returnability on this. And I think that to some degree, I'm sure these conversations have happened. I'm sure they have. And at some point, the publishers, well, <laughs> there is... Uh, the reality of having the kind of situation that the pandemic has given in terms of things shutting down and distribution stopping because you weren't, you know, transporting things because of the you know, risk of, of mm. transporting infection as you go and all these different things, all the different reasons why this stuff would, would, would grind to a halt, put the publishers in a position that they didn't necessarily have to deal with before, which is... If their stores aren't, if the stores aren't open, and you're not selling comic books through drugstores anymore, or through, you know, you news, don't, yeah, newsstands gone, newsstands gone. You don't, you don't go into these places. When I, when I was a teenager, junior high and teenager, I would go up to, up to uh, visit the family in Decorah, Iowa, <clears throat> in the little, you know, small town, uh, college town, Iowa, uh, Main Street. Mm -hmm. There literally was a drugstore. And there was a spinner rack. And that's where I picked up topics, uh, copies of Micronauts when I was up in, in Decorah, Iowa. Yep. And, and you know, or whatever t the other titles I was collecting at the time. 7-Eleven. Seven, well, yeah, these yeah. we used to see these things all the time. Borders and Barnes & Noble used to sell comic books, uh, individual issues. I think Barnes & Noble may still, depending on the market. Uh, but they certainly have done very, very well with the... The collections and the graphic novels and that sort of stuff. That stuff sells out of the stores. Yeah. Um, but it's the the publishers put, ended up in a position where they actually had to deal with the fact that they had one distribution point, and if it didn't go through them to the vendors, it didn't happen. Right. And that for all the digital sales you want to make in the world, and there's a question as to just how many of those. Because of course, no one says No one tells us. Um, the fact is, is that people, okay, this is a bad example, because for those of you who are listening, you can't see me hold up the digital tablet thing. This is, this is not a book, but the thing is, is that we like things in our hands. Yeah. We, 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 the, the big, the big nightmare fear that we, that book dealers had, you know, back when the ebook came around is that the book was going to go away and it never has. And I don't think it ever will. Television's going to kill the movies. <clears throat> well, video. Video we'll killed kill the, the radio, radio star. star. Well, yeah. and 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 yet and yet, you know, uh, how many podcasts are there? There's a glut, no question. But the thing is, is that you can listen to anything you want to listen to right now because radio never really went away. Robert makes a point. Question: I question the profitability of almost any retail that doesn't have chain stores in its ecosystem. Chain stores bring a level of professionalism that single outlets can't match. And Super JLK is saying it doesn't seem like it would be a good business investment to start a comic book shop now because they seem to be on the decline. And I would I would say maybe that's a point, but then you have stores like the one Dennis Barger runs, which is all back issues and collections. He doesn't sell any new mm -hmm. product at all from any publishers. See, I would I would argue that this is the same kind of argument that people would were making and and I I could easily be wrong here, but the same kind of argument people were making back when Amazon was hitting the online book market. Wait a minute. Did you just admit to the possibility that you could be wrong about something? No. 
We're going to have to clip I was, that out. I was in error. <laughs> have to clip that and keep it. What is it? I thought I was, I thought I was wrong once, but I, I thought was I was wrong once, but I was uh, But well, the thing is, is that there were a lot of people who were uh, really concerned, and I think a lot of people, right, rightly so, because we didn't know it was going to happen, but a lot of the independent booksellers were concerned that they were going to go out of business because, the, first of all, there was the big book chains like Barnes and Noble and... and and borders, but also Amazon come along, and there's the internet sales. And what ended up happening was that the folks who actually went, who the, the, the folks who actually loved the businesses, they went there to get their thing. They went there not just because the thing was there, because they liked the environment, they liked the people, sure. they liked the fact that they could look at, they could look at, you know, a bunch of different books all at once. Um, so it's the same thing with comic book shops. And yes, you are going to. We've been seeing bit. Businesses go out of business all the time. Right. And and Super JLK makes a point. I myself prefer individual businesses as they have unique charm and character, but you're right. The chains generally run better and are much more professional. I think that's something I've seen comments along these uh, along these lines. A lot of people are making making the the observation and the complaint that too many of the retailers are looking at their stores as communities mm. and not businesses. You're in business to make money by selling things, not by making friends. Yes, you can sell your comic books to your friends, and you can make recommendations, and people you know respect your your credibility and you know, your expertise and all of that by having these conversations in the store. But ultimately, you're there to sell comic books. But it is a balancing act because a lot of times you don't want to be so generic that well, true. You, yeah. want, you want to you inspire, want to have that relationship. You want to inspire your, loyalty to your customers. Yeah, you want to have that relationship. But at the same time, at at the end of the day, to <laughs> to to use a, a a tired cliche, you're in business to make money, mm -hmm. and DC is looking at the landscape and they're thinking, okay, diamond single point of failure, and uh, all the distribution models show that. We have to do something different. They had already tried the Walmart Target stuff. And then in the middle of all of this, you have Alliance Arts, Mitch Breitweiser and Elizabeth Breitweiser and, and that Kelsey Shannon and, and uh, who else, Blake Northcott and a bunch of others putting comic books in Walmarts mm -hmm. and not DC Comics in Walmarts. These are brand new right imprint never before seen as opposed to DC doing reprints right. and those big hundred pagers. So the the ecosystem was already changing. There were already people out there saying, okay, how do we get comic books out because the comic shops can't sell them now because everybody's closed. Walmart's is an essential business. Let's get them in Walmart. And when they started to roll back out and open back up and everybody's, you know, Steve Jeppy's a nice guy. Okay, fine. And they, and they come up with this, you know, our comeback will be bigger than our setback. It's a nice phrase, but what does it do? You have now a, a, a little stamp logo. And a lot of people were questioning the, the judgment on this one because why would you use a stamp that harkens back to a time when the industry censored itself with the Comics Code Authority. And you've got this nice sticker on the box, which is still beat up when it gets to the store. And you've got this letter in the box from Steve Jeppy saying things are going to be great, but they still can't pay their bills. 
Well, uh, and and yeah. Lunar, I've seen photographs. Have you seen the photographs of the packing that Lunar's doing? Uh -oh. Two inches of bubble wrap all the way around inside the box. Oh sure. I mean, you could drop this thing from a three-story building, and it wouldn't do anything to the to the to the books. <clears throat> well, and one of the things, one of the complaints that people have had is that, of course, the shipping costs are higher on this. Yeah. And I think a legitimate concern people have right now is what is this going to mean for international shipping? And this, I think, is a legitimate question if you're shipping overseas. There's already, there's already a premium on, yeah. on cost here. I saw something today on Twitter, I think, that, uh, and I can't remember who, who, who said it, but they, they, saw, they were saying that DC is in conversations with somebody for Canada and... North America and overseas. So those conversations are being right. had. And, 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 and honestly, if they weren't having them, that would be an area, a legitimate area of, yeah. of criticism because there is a market overseas. Um, I've seen a lot of comments from the UK. Uh, and of course, the, the reprint, the DC and Marvel reprint market over there was basically how they got comics from us for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And so getting first run things and actually it's, it's actually a big deal because it's for a long, long time it simply didn't happen. I I would think that in I didn't know this, but when all of this was going on, we found out that DC had been using a printer in Canada. And because of the shutdown and the lockdown, all that, the printers got closed. Mm -hmm. And there was no transportation over the border right. from Canada to the United States, so they've they've started using a print a, a printer here in Missouri. Oh, really? And it's uh, southeast of St. Louis, somewhere in not the middle the, of nowhere. Not the printer that ended up having an entire factory get sick. No, I don't think okay. so. But DC is <clears throat> using you know they're domestic now, so I'm thinking okay, instead of shipping books overseas. Have a, send the files. Send the files and have a, have them printed in the UK. Have them printed in and I'm sure Germany. That, I'm sure that's a conversation yeah. that's probably been had, and the and the the financial equations are being run and probably being run there more than once a year. Yeah. Uh, outside of this this situation, because just because there's there's pros and cons to that in terms of of do you have to build a factory over there to do it because all their other commitments, et cetera. Et cetera. There's a lot of different factors that right. fly into it, but I think that you know so. The, the 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 concerns about the cost again we come back to well okay your shipping costs might be this much but if your if your if your product is arriving safely yeah you're not you're not losing money on what you can or cannot sell and i think that depending on the math and i i don't know oh, anything yeah. about it to do the math but it would seem to me that they kind of offset each other I think I think one thing we are seeing, and I completely understand this because change is scary. Sometimes you're right to be afraid of change. Sometimes you're not, because change. I mean, change is going to happen whether you want it to or not. You're yeah. just going to have to deal with it. Right. But the thing is, is that you know, again, we come back to the many of these folks who are looking at this change and seeing, you know, are, are folks who were not happy with diamond, but the diamond is the devil they know. And there's right. pros and cons to this because if you are aware that you've got this set of issues and you've come to adapt to those set of issues and you know how to deal with those set of issues for your own business model, 
you know how to deal with these things. You, you've got a process in place on your end to deal mm -hmm. with the fact that X number of boxes are going to show up damaged. Um, you're going to have this window where, you know, you can't send something back or all these different things. And then someone comes along and completely changes things. Now, this is, for all the fact, I think we need to be very clear. We're not saying that the D, what DC is doing is going to work. This could not work, too. This could be... Maybe. Be, maybe. and it, Well, because we just don't know. Because... Although everything that I've seen so far, just in general, the reaction that I'm seeing... Because there are a lot of retailers that are getting on live streams and talking to each other at all of this. And it's not... Many people have things to say. Well, they do. But in, in a general scope... Most of the retailers that I'm seeing, for all of their complaints about Diamond one way or the other, there are a majority of them that are trying to keep an open mind as far as what Lunar is going to do, what, what sure. GCS is going to do. And you, 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 UCS. And you sure? um, they're saying that, you know, overall so far, they're delivering on time. Or early, mm -hmm. because, you know, DC's doing Tuesday new comic book right. day now. But the books are arriving well before that, whereas with Diamond, you don't know if you're going to get it Tuesday, or maybe it comes in late, and maybe you get half of it and half of it somewhere else. And No, no. Um, but the shipping arrives when it's supposed to arrive and it arrives intact and it's packed well and i hey look i have books that i can sell and i have not seen any reports yet of damaged product late shipments missing product anything like that from these guys and it could very well be we need to make a good first impression everybody do it great right 100 yeah. all the time but when Steve Jeppy goes around to all of these YouTube channels and talks about how great everything's going to be and how wonderful it's all going to be and, yeah, we're still solvent and everything's great, and then the first week they start shipping stuff, it's damaged or missing or lost or late, that doesn't make Diamond look very good. No. Well, and I think that, that they would have... I think people would have forgiven a lot more of what was going on with Diamond at this particular time if there hadn't been, you know, this exposure to the fact that, you know, in the middle of all of this, I can't pay my bills. Yeah. And and you know what? People, people completely get not being able to pay your bills in a time of crisis. This happens. It doesn't matter how much cushion you've given yourself as a business if suddenly no one's going to be able to buy your product, mm -hmm. you know. And we've seen, we've seen businesses large and small. Uh, in in this time and in other times, deal with situations where you think you've got enough to weather the storm, and you don't. Right. That's just a nat that's just part of business. However, it's historically things with Diamond. It's one point of failure. It's the things that happened during the shutdowns, and it's then we're open again, and it's the nothing has necessarily changed. Yeah. And when you're the head of the company and you go out in front of people, yes, you want to put a good face on it. You want to sit there and say, it's going to be better, where everything's going to be okay, everything's fine. Perfectly understand it. I, yeah. I, you would not want them going out here and going, everything is terrible, it's all going to burn. But that at the same bad. time, if I'm going to come out as the owner of the company and I'm going to say everything's going to be better, then the next 
conversation that I'm having is with my shipping department and my sales department you and my promotion department. So, yes. And I'm going to say, okay, everything's going to be better or else. You would think so, yeah. Yes. Um, Robert makes a good point. The, the Comicron numbers, yes. Um, Comicron only looks at no, uh, the numbers of books that go to the retailers that, that, are, that are ordered by retailers. I'm not aware, and this would be a question for John Jackson Miller, if those numbers reflect the overships or not. I would think not, but hmm. I, I would know, say I, I, would I say don't know. You would. I would say I would. My my instinct would be to say no. Uh, it depends on where you're. Which where, where's your source of tracking? Are you tracking orders from the stores or shipments from? I don't know the the supplier because those are your two numbers. Yeah, I would uh, say I would say we're probably looking at if I understand how Comicron tracks things, we're looking at retail orders which would which would actually be a number that would make more sense in general yeah. because that would so indicate, that doesn't count the overship right um that w it would make it would make more sense if it would not and and really you know this the sales numbers going up um that's kind of a false narrative to a point because the number of books being sold has gone down but the cover price has gone up so the money may be good, but you're not selling as many books. And uh, Richard Meyer did a did a track on this. He looked at all of the Comic Con numbers since I think 1997, and did this big long spreadsheet track trend line in Excel spread. I mean, he did a lot of math. And math is not my thing, but from 1997 to now. Looking at the just using Comicron numbers for the top ten books, you know, so top ten this number of books it didn't matter what the title was. It was just mm -hmm. he's looking at quantities, top ten, top fifty, top three hundred, or something like that. He's, he broke it down into three different categories, and the trend lines for all of them were everything's going down since 1997. Now that's when every you know the bottom fell out of everything in the right. 90s and the early 2000s where. Nobody was buying comic books. And from there to now, even fewer comic books are being sold. And it it goes back to... Now does that include... Is that talking individual issues or does that include uh, collections at all? Uh, that's whatever is tracking in the in the top 100. So, okay, so it, I, as far as I know, that's individual issues. Okay. So the fly, the, because one, the of the things, one of the things that I saw... And and again, I don't know the numbers here. I, I don't have. I'm not, I'm not certain about this at all. Um, and someone maybe we should probably look into this. Whatever these numbers actually break down to be, because I, nothing else. I'm curious. Mm -hmm. um, is that we actually did pretty well, and you've got quite a few of them over there uh, of the, the the collections, where right. basically it would be here's issues one through six of Justice Society of America, yeah, the graphic right? novels, the graphic the trade novels, the, the trade papers, yeah. and. <clears throat> Borders and Barnes and Noble and other book chains found that these actually turned out to be a really good thing to sell, and so and that's about what the, that's about the time when those started, right? And if you look at the math on some of these collections, it made financial sense to wait mm -hmm. to have the collection because if you're looking at two ninety five or or a dollar ninety anywhere from a dollar ninety five to two ninety five or whatever your comic your individual comic was. 
the collection comes out and it's $9.95 or $16.95, a lot of times it was cheaper to wait. Well, and the other thing too is on the distribution side and of things. And you can read it all at once. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, uh, on the distribution side of things, that's not necessarily going through Diamond either. Right. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, for, for, uh, and I think it's going to be for the graphic novels, it's going through Penguin. Yeah. Penguin Random House is going to handle all the graphic novels and trade paperbacks. And so what you're looking at here is uh, this stuff potentially. And and look, folks, there's there is a risk to this. Let's let's we, we get you got to be honest. There's a risk with with this. Anytime you change a distribution model, anytime you change things on this kind of level, mm. there's always a risk. There's no question about that. But somebody, the folks who did the math at at uh, you know. DC or AT&T or any of the place where this the math was being done looked at this and said the risk is worth the you know the reward yeah. and the potential here is that a you don't have one point of failure which is good which is good um, now it's going to have to maintain quality of shipping. It's going to have to maintain quality of timetable. It's going to have to prove that it's it's a viable model because it's thirty percent of the market. Or sorry, thirty percent of diamonds business of diamonds business. Yeah. Because again, and, it's not thirty percent of the market. Well, and Com people superhero people comics make a very people, small number. People look at that. It's like, well, if DC has completely pulled out of diamond because diamond's not obviously solvent, how much less solvent are they now? that DC is no longer doing business with them. And the other observation that I've seen in a couple of different places about some of the reactions from these retailers just having a hissy fit over this whole thing, has people leaning to the conclusion, leaning to the suspicion at any rate, that some of these retail shops were getting sweetheart deals that other retail shops weren't getting, possible. and now they're not getting because DC's not doing Diamond anymore. That's possible, but there's also the there is there is a thing you have to acknowledge here about when DC put this notice out. Two things that you don't put out on Friday. Everything <laughs> newsworthy. You, you you if you put it out on Friday, your goal is to bury it. And, and and whether it's whether it's intentional, whether yeah. I don't, I have I, I have to put out this item. What, watch out! Oh. I have to put out this piece of information about my business, and it's really bad, and I don't want people to pay attention with it because you put it out at four o'clock on Friday afternoon because everybody else has tuned out, and nobody's going to care until Monday morning. And you might make it through the weekend. Yeah. Uh, now this, of course, is a. Uh, this is a holdover from print advertising and print reporting. Uh, folks, it's the 24-hour news cycle of the internet. You can put... If it's a bad piece of news and it comes out on a Friday afternoon, I guarantee it's, you... It's, it's going to be all it's, over the internet, internet over the web. Because yeah. that's how it works. But there's two things that, that happened here. One, this came out with on a Friday afternoon. And, again, it's, historically, that's where you want to put things if you don't want to talk about it. Well, now, DC sent the email to retailers at about noon on Friday. Yeah, but... By but, that time, by the, by the time it got to the to the news outlets... But I do, but I do, mar I do marketing for my, for my company, yeah. and, and I talk to a lot of other people in the marketing world right now, which is basically, if you can, if you can avoid Fridays, just don't even put it out on Friday. Yeah. If it's got to go out on Friday, put it out on Monday. But here's the other thing, is that DC kind of didn't tell anybody they were going to do this, and then they said, we're doing it. And so in fairness to the retailers, having been a retailer, 
um, you know, if, if they don't tell you, if this is if this seems like it's coming out of the blue, if if you, even if you're looking at the market, even if you're looking at the situation where with the pandemic, you know, they added these folks as additional distributors mm -hmm. to help us get through this point. Right. To then sit there and say, you know, so I can completely understand folks who had their other priorities. They were looking at other things. They weren't paying attention the way that some maybe some others were. Uh, to be able to sit there and say, you know what? This is the, you know this is essentially an out of the blue thing. I can understand a lot of those folks being upset because it's a business model. You know it it impacts how they run their business probably, most likely, and in all likelihood in this case. Oh sure. So I mean I can I can understand that, but I'm also you know there's there's some anger here that I think is while justifiable in terms of I, you should have said something to us sooner. Well, I think the writing was on the wall, though, when they started in in April, saying, you know, we're going to use other other distribution chains besides Diamond. Yes, but this is June, and so that's a really short period of time, in terms. And that's one of the things, of course, that the Diamond complained about mm. is that they were talking about these conversations. They they acknowledged these were conversations that they were having with DC. That DC, the two of them were discussing, you know, terms and and all these different things. But DC was actually ex asking for extensions in these discussions, and one of those extensions was running into July. Now, this is coming from Diamond. I don't. Mm -hmm. I, this, I, I'm, I. I would presume that it's the truth because it would come back and bite them if it wasn't. And so, for DC to sit there and say, you know, we'd like this extension to July, and then decide, you know, well, and it could I, very well be that they were asking for the extensions from Diamond so they could set up the others. In a more permanent fashion. Well, right, and and, and it may it. it may have come down to the the simple fact that they looked at everything and they sat there and went, you know what, we don't need that extension to July, yeah, because we know what we want to do, and you know, for all there are, there are and there are risks involved in this. It is a change to the model. It's a change to how things are going to go. But there's some benefit to this as well. Potent, well potential benefit. Potential. We are we are we are what. Uh, a week, not even a week not into even this. A week. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and the other Friday. thing too, you know, I, I mentioned Chuck Rosansky earlier, Mile High Comics in Denver, blowing a gasket over this, and he's decided that he's going to basically fire sale all of his DC stuff with the the promo code DC sucks. Yep. And just buy all the DC. I'm thinking, and and people have pointed this out. You're going to sell all of your back issues for DC at a loss because you're mad at DC. Now, in all fairness, to, uh, now, uh, now there's, some clever, there's some clever lurking in here, too. Because you know what those back issues are doing right now? Nothing. Right. But selling them... At a loss, but you've yeah, already well, you've already taken the loss well, on, on, on know, his but, on his balance. But it his, doesn't do anything to DC to sell those books no, at any price. No, but it, what it does, what it does, is it captures the potential anger of the buyer, right? To sit there and come in and help clean out space in your store and product you aren't selling, except. It's kind of clever. Well, it's except, not smart. It's not smart. But it's kind of clever. Thing is, he comes in and he goes, I hate DC now. And 
Oh, well, I'm going to sell all my DC stuff. But let's say somebody comes into Mile High Comics for the very first time because they heard that Chuck Rosansky was having a fire sale on all DC stuff. Well, let's go take a look. Oh, hey, I I kind of like this DC stuff. Oh, you're not going to carry it anymore? I'm going to the other comic book shop. Right. And you lose a customer. Well, yes. The, there's, there's, uh, I, I said, it's clever, but it's not smart. because it, well, it, it and, and for Rosansky, of all people, to be complaining about this after uh, what Mile High did with San Diego Comic-Con. But, but, it costs too much money. We lose money every year. We can't go to San Diego Comic-Con anymore. So Mile High is not going to attend San Diego Comic-Con anymore. And everybody made a big deal out of it. Because this is Mile High Comics. But you know what? All he has to do, all he has to do is go online and see that, see that outrage sells things. Well, that's true. And all you have to do, I mean, at this particular point, and, and you know what? For all we know, and I'm, I'm not saying this because I don't have any, any insider knowledge about Mile High Comics or anything. Yeah, don't financi Financially, this could be an incredibly, you know, me, well, maybe he needs the money. And well, I'm, and at a, at, a, at a particular point in time. In fairness, most of his studio money. According to reports, he spent nine years paying off his debt to Diamond. Because Jeppy kept oh, extending. Oh, I've seen. Yeah, I've seen some numbers. I've seen some really scary uh, debt to to diamond numbers yeah. that have popped up, and all I can think is, okay. At some point, you've got to cut them off. Well, not only that, but at some point, if you're generating these numbers, and again, I don't know if these numbers are true. These are numbers that I'm seeing in news stories yeah. on the internet. Okay, they could be true. They could be almost true. They could be made up out of whole cloth. Um, but some of these numbers are scary in terms of if you're running this kind of debt to a single distributor, yes, maybe you're, you know, is your, is your only distributor for this product. Mm. Um, you need to look at your business model because something is pro you're in danger as a business owner. You're in danger because you're in debt to your sole source of product at yeah. a level that you can't, um, you know, but a lot of these folks have toys and, and all these different others. You know, they've got all these other things to sell. And well, and that and that goes back to you know, comic book shops are now having to become pop culture shops because they can't make the profit on comic books alone. But this is again, this isn't new because when I was uh, in, no, it's not because I in the eighties back in back in the nineteen eighties in the wonderful day when I was yeah, and I would go down the comic book store and basically bid, you know you know buy up half of the Vertigo line. Because the late '80s was, you know, Vertigo was some of the best stuff that DC was putting out. There yeah. were some amazing comics coming out at that time, um, and you'd go in and buy like five or six titles just from Vertigo alone, mm -hmm. uh, let alone anything else. Um, you know, they were already selling tons of toys and T-shirts and all the different things. All this stuff was there. This is not new. Um, comic books were leaning into that because, again, the margin on comic books has never been great. Yeah, and. Um, if if these if these companies were to try and actually leverage their the retail value they're getting from their movie systems, but you know what? Even Bloodshot, a Vin Diesel movie. You guys, remember Bloodshot? The Vin Diesel. It was a comic book movie. Mm -hmm. Did you know that? Um, Valiant. Yeah, uh, it's a shame that no one seems to actually none of, none of the marketing indicated that it was actually well, based on a comic book. Not well, really. Well, there is that, but then there's also the fact that it wasn't it, a great movie. It hit the theater. Just as things were starting to shut down. Yeah, but it wasn't. How it, much did that get But hurt? it also wasn't. It wasn't a good movie. And the problem, you know, it was a one. It was a good 1990s superhero movie. Yeah. Which not is not necessarily a bad thing. It's not necessarily if that's what you're a good going thing for. either. 
No, it, and but no, and it is it is dependent on what you're going for. But the thing is, it was a no, it was a Vin Diesel superhero movie, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that either. If you're a fan, of this, but I'm yeah. saying is that is that this is not a, a auspicious start for the Valiant Universe cinematic yeah. universe, right? Um, and that's you know, well, uh, DC had that problem. Marvel's had that problem at various points. They all have had that problem at various points. Well, and we will have to uh, keep an eye out and see how this discussion continues. And, yeah, and we're it, certainly not going to... It's you know, not over. No, it's not. We will certainly have to revisit and come back to it. Honestly, a year see. from... Uh, it's uh, three, three months, six months, and a year from now. Those really, yeah. those are the numbers you want to look at right now, I, I'm thinking. I think so, yeah. So we will, we will take a look at this again. In the meantime... Uh, check out our Indiegogo campaign. Please, please, Let's please. go ahead and throw that back up there for people to see. And if you can't, if you can't uh, contribute right now, do us a favor. If you could please, uh, share the campaign, let yes, people know give about us, it. Give us a signal boost at the very um, least, because it, that would be very helpful. Let's let's do a refresh on it. Um, I don't know that it's going to change, but let's see if anything changes. No. Okay, that's fine. But there it is. Sci-fi for me. TV is the is the URL. You can t- you can type that in. We made it easy, instead of indiegogocom slash alphabet soup. So uh, so check that out, and we will be back with another conversation about something else next week. Uh, tomorrow night, a brand new Salacious Crumbs with Star Wars news, and uh, then on. Friday, we will have um, uh, a new Ranker Pit. So that will be uh, Friday after, uh, well, Friday at 8 o'clock. So there is that. And that will be this week. (sighs) And hopefully the comics industry will survive. I think it, it will. It will. It just, it'll it, look weird. It will. Yeah. It, it's all. It's always been changing. So, yes. Uh, yeah. So uh, so check that out, and uh, we will be back next week. Thanks very much for watching. Thanks to all of you who are participating in the chat tonight. Yeah, thanks, all guys. of your comments are welcome. Uh, make sure that you have notifications on, and check out the Daily Dose of Dog at three p.m. Central every weekday. <laughs> We'll see how that uh, how that trends. There's not going to be a cat equivalent. I'm just telling you. <laughs> the cats will, will hijack. The, yes, the they signal. will. Yes. All right. <laughs> Thanks very much for watching, folks. Good night. Good night. Copyright 2020.